Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you this week to discuss a topic that I think will be of interest to everyone listening one way or the other, and that is how you can have it your way. Now, we all are familiar with the fast food commercial about have it your way and you can order whatever you want. Hard to imagine something like that happening in the real estate investing space, but it does happen. Are you a cash performance person? Is that what's really critical to you? And growth is important, but secondary. Maybe you're about trying to double your money as quickly and confidently as you can, so you can do it over and over again, or some combination of the above. Maybe taxes are really critical. Everybody might have a slightly different view of what's a great investment. Well, we work with clients where we design hand-tailored investments to meet those specific needs, and that's what we're going to talk about this week. As always, thank you for joining us. And if you have questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Don't forget to swing by marapoling.com and check out the Learning Center for a bunch of great additional content. And with that, let's get to this. So you might be a passive investor working with a sponsor or multiple sponsors. And there are offers out there where you can find one that's maybe a little more heavy on the cash side, or that might be a little more heavy on the equity growth side. And if you're building your own portfolio, you might be trying to shape it. It can be challenging at that scale, right? If we're talking about a handful of single family rentals or even a, a 20 plex or a 40 plex can be difficult. But as we get some scale, we get the ability to play with things a little bit. And so what I wanted to share with you this week is how we work with the handful of clients that we do this kind of work for and tailor those investments to meet their specific needs. Now, this may or may not be something I could help you with. If you think you have interest in it, I'm happy to chat with you about it. But that's not the reason for this week's episode. I want to share this with you because you may learn something in this tailoring discussion that gives you some thought about how you might work either with sponsors in a passive world or build your own portfolio in an active space. So the scenarios we're going to look at are going to involve what I would describe as, I don't want to say two ends of the spectrum because that makes this sound very linear. Um, I would describe it more like, um, uh, you know, two, two of the sides of a sphere, uh, you know, far over to the left and far over to the right. But you could also go far to the top and far to the bottom and far to the back and far to the front. There's lots of different ways you could decide you want to structure an investment. I'm going to talk about two. One is cash. One is equity. All right. So let's start with the equity folks first. And by the way, these are all 
real world tools that we use for clients that we have today that have these expectations, right? So this is not theoretical or hypothetical or something that we think might make sense. This is work we do today and that we've done for some period of time uh, that we just wanted to share with you. So let's start with the equity investor. This is the investor who has maybe all the cash they need right now, right? Maybe they, they still work or they have income from other investments that generates sufficient cash to cover what their living expenses are and the other things that they do with cash. What they want this investment to do is grow. They want to invest $5 million and they want to turn it into 10. And then they want to take the 10 and doing a 1031, roll it into another investment that becomes 20 and then do it again and turn 20 into 40. So that over maybe something like 20 years, $5 million becomes $40 million, all with a modest amount of tax exposure. That's that's maybe what someone describes to me is that's what I'm looking for. I want to grow my money. All right. Well, there are several things that we could do, and there's a, a lot more than just this list, but we'll touch on sort of the major ones. So the first thing let's talk about would be debt. What kind of debt would we put on an asset that we want to focus on equity growth? Well, one thing we could do is we could put traditional debt and not have an interest only period. In other words, we could begin amortizing immediately. And in doing so, we would earn a return. Say the interest rate is 5%. Well, we'd be making 5% on that amount of principal that we would pay down every month. And we'd be getting a return for it. So that might make sense. It would increase the equity in the asset because we'd be decreasing the size of the loan balance. And we'd make some return on that principal. That's not what we would do. We would still use a traditional loan, 10 years fixed agency debt. That would be the starting place. And we would look to get several years of interest only treatment. Three years, maybe four or five, but three would be great as a starting point. So you might be wondering, well, why would we do that? That would keep our interest expense flat for three years as opposed to decreasing. So we wouldn't be making as much money because we'd make more if we paid that down. And we said we didn't want cash. We said we want to grow equity. Well, that leads us to number two. And that is the property is going to generate cash. That's what they do. It's not that we're going to find some property that's not going to generate cash. If it's not generating cash, that means it's not covering its debt. Uh, and if it's not covering its debt, we got problems. And by the way, nobody's going to loan us money to buy a property like that. So it's going to generate cash. What we do with that cash, though, is different in an equity environment. And what we do with it is we use that to grow the value of the asset. So a very modest amount of capital investment would be put in up front. And when I say modest, I mean like a couple hundred thousand dollars on a property the size I'm describing. And that couple hundred thousand dollars kickstarts things. But after three or four months, there's another hundred or two hundred thousand dollars that has shown up from the cash from the property. And that gets invested and so on and so on. And so for the first 
24 to 30 to maybe even 36 months, cash gets thrown off and reinvested. Now, what this does is when, and I'm using this $5 million example, when that $5 million was invested, only a hundred or 200,000 of that was set aside for capital. If we were doing all the same amount of work and needed to fund all that capital up front, we either would have needed maybe $6 million or we might've had to buy a smaller property because of the 5 million, a million had to go to improvements. Instead, we were able to put in the amount of money needed to close the property and some reserves and fund capital improvements from cash flow. That decreases the amount that we have to invest so that the same amount of gain dollar-wise is now spread over a smaller amount of capital investment, over 5 million as opposed to 6 million, for example. And that increases our return. That allows us to double the 5 million because I only have to get to 10 Whereas if I had to double 6 million, I've got to get to 12 million. So that's $2 million of gain I don't have to do because I can pour this cash back in. Now, at some point in time, I'm going to run out of things to improve. I'll talk about that here in a moment. But when I run out of things to improve, what do I do with that cash? Well, we would begin to distribute that to the investor with the mind towards the 1031. When we execute 1031s, and if you go back and listen to some of our other content on it, you'll, you'll know that not all cash that has to get invested in a 1031 asset, in a second generation asset, not all of that cash gets 1031 protection. Some of it, if it comes from the proceeds of the sale, of the sale of the first generation asset, asset. Some of that may be classified as boot and become taxable. So the way to get around that is to have some cash to put in. So you invest five, you double it so you can get 10 out. Well, if you can have another million or million and a half in cash laying around that you can put with it, so you invest 11 and a half this next time, you can more fully protect all of the cash that was generated in that particular asset. So that's what we do in this particular scenario when we're working on equity. As we are generating cash that has no place else to go, it's directed back to the client, bury this somewhere, go buy a certificate of deposit, put it in a, a bond fund that's highly stable. Don't do anything crazy with it because you're going to want it here in just a few years when it's time to sell this asset. Another thing that we would do if we were looking to build an equity heavy investment is we would be more inclined to invest in a lower cap rate market, a market where a dollar of NOI has a higher value as compared to a higher cap rate market where a dollar of NOI has a lower value. The reason for that is this, is leverage. And I don't mean leverage as in debt leverage. I mean leverage in when I grow NOI by a dollar, which market gives me the biggest bang for the buck? If I'm in a market, and I'm just going to use some rough numbers, if I'm in a market where I'm getting $18 of value growth for every dollar of NOI, compared to a market where I get $23 of growth 
for every dollar of NOI. Well, I want to invest in that market where I get $23 because that's going to get me doubled faster. I'm going to grow equity more. And in a market that has a lower cap rate like that, the penalty normally is you generate less cash because the delta between the cap rate and the cost of money, the interest rate, is smaller, which is fine because we don't care about cash in this environment, right? We're trying to optimize equity growth. So we'd be looking to invest in a lower cap rate market. We'd also be looking to find an asset that has a little more need for love. So we're still not looking for a huge lift. Uh, we don't want to buy a property where we've got to put twenty or $30,000 a door in. Those are great investments. They're not the kind of conservative, stable, secure investments that we want to make. I'll buy the property from the person that's going to buy that today and do a bunch of that work and then get it stabilized. I'll buy it and then finish. But I'm not going to be the one that buys it and puts $30,000 a door into the asset. Somebody else will do that. But I'm not opposed to putting, you know, $10,000 or $12,000 a door as opposed to $5,000, right? I, we can do a heavier lift. We can do more work. If we can get it for the right price, we can do a project that has some deferred maintenance on it, right? That might be scaring someone else away. And again, the reason for this is because I've got a capital funding mechanism. As I identify opportunities to increase value, I simply direct the cash the property is generating into that opportunity. And what that allows us to do is to take that $5 million and grow the value of the assets so that we can net $10 million. And then we can do it again. And then we can do it again. And then we can do it again. The last piece that I'll mention on this is fees. Now, Again, this is not a solicitation. This is not a request for anyone to pick up the phone and call us or shoot me an email. We share this from an informational educational standpoint. The clients that we do this work for, in addition to tailoring the asset, we tailor our fees. And uh, I always describe our fees often like one of those uh, balloons at the circus, you know, and you squeeze it on one end and it gets bigger on the other and vice versa. Well, our fees are what our fees are. There's a certain amount of money we need to be paid, just like the business you work for has to generate a certain amount of revenue in order to do its work. We can structure it lots of different ways, though. So in this kind of environment, uh, we would put a uh, much smaller emphasis on the uh, items that would impact the equity numbers uh, and be a little more inclined to move some of the fees over to the cash side of the equation. Therefore, the, the cash pulls back a little bit, but the equity growth gets turbocharged. So those are the things we would do on the equity side. And you might be wondering, well, what about taxes? Well, you can still do all the same great things on the tax side that you do in a traditional balanced kind of investment. And that is uh, using cost segregation, uh, potentially accelerating the first five years of depreciation uh, into year one. Uh, all of that capital investment, is, those are significant dollars that are getting invested uh, and provide additional uh, write-off uh, as we go forward. So a very tax-efficient model 
and something that we would then look to execute a 1031 on so that we could maintain that tax value as we move to the next asset. Okay, so that's, like I said, inside this giant sphere, that's kind of one spot way over on the far side that's equity. Now we're gonna look at a spot that's on the other side of the inside of our little sphere here, uh, where we where we want cash, right? Uh, and so we have, uh, you know, a client that says, yeah, I want it to grow and I know it's going to grow. I have confidence in the market. I want to get as much cash out of this as I can. I, I like having cash, right? The other person likes having equity growth. This person likes having cash. So how do we design this? Well, let's walk through debt. We'd use basically the same debt we'd use on the equity side, right? We'd, we'd look for agency debt, 10 years in length, fixed rate, generally. We might consider floating rate. Uh, we have done floating rate agency debt previously uh, in the right interest rate environment with the right kind of cap in place. It can make a lot of sense and it could help boost cash. So that's a possibility Floating rate debt generally is just interest only. It's not amortizing. We would certainly want debt that had an interest only period on it, ideally as long as we could get. Three years would be wonderful. Four or five years would be even better. We would be looking to invest in a market with a higher cap rate. So this is the market where NOI costs a dollar, uh, $1 of NOI costs $18, not the $23. So not the market we're doing the equity play in, but a different market. And these are all quality markets. They meet all of our criteria and these are class B assets. So we're not talking about buying a class C or buying a class A, we're talking about B assets. And in some markets, they're going to be, you know, five caps, five and a half caps in some markets, they might be four caps, four and a half caps. So we're looking for a higher cap market where a dollar of NOI costs less. And the reason for that is we want to buy as much NOI as we can. Our $5 million that we're going to invest is going to allow us to buy a 10 or a 12 or a $13 million property well, for 10 or 12 or $13 million, I want to buy as much NOI as I can. And the reason for that is NOI is what drives cash. And my starting cash position is a function of how much NOI I have. And that higher cap rate increases the spread between the cap rate and the cost of money, my interest rate, which also increases the amount of cash that we're going to receive. Now, that doesn't mean that we couldn't buy an asset in a lower cap rate market and design it to do as well as possible on cash in the same way that it doesn't mean we couldn't buy an equity-oriented asset in a higher cap rate market. We simply would prefer to buy an equity asset in a lower cap rate market and a cash-oriented asset in a higher cap rate market. We'd look to do a smaller lift. Uh, we'd, we'd really want to prioritize if we can secure one, an asset that doesn't have much in the way of deferred maintenance, that the unit improvements might be limited to just a few thousand dollars each, and that the growth opportunity is a function of simply managing the asset better. 
that allows us to minimize the amount of capital that's invested up front, that $5 million, so that we can buy the largest asset we can because of the cap rate and the lack of having to put an enormous amount of capital in. And yet we can get growth in NOI by moving rents and improving management. And as we grow NOI, we will grow cash. And that ultimately puts us in a position where we're having a very successful run generating cash. Also, taxes. We can treat taxes the exact same way. You have all the same options here. We're not doing as heavy a lift. We're not putting as much capital in. So there's not a, as much to write off in terms of incremental capital investment, which is a difference, but we're talking about a difference in the margins. Um, that might change the amount of depreciation by 10 or 20%, which is not an insignificant number, but it's probably not enough to sway one way or the other on its own. And then the final piece would be fees. Again, that balloon animal, we would squeeze the cash part and we'd push more of our fees into some of the areas that would have an impact on equity growth. Now, when we do this, what we end up seeing is these equity assets, generally you're in a position where they're going to grow in value and double in about five years, maybe a little less from an underwriting standpoint, but five years would be the target, right? So we're looking for 20% plus returns. On the cash side, we'd like to be in a position where we were cash flowing 8% or better day one if we can, or as close to day one as we can. We really wanna be in a position where we come out of the gate with solid cash performance and we maintain that over time. That solid cash performance probably pulls the total value back into the mid-teens. So maybe you end up at 8% cash, 9% cash, maybe even 10% cash, but you're at you know, 15, 16, 17% for a total return. Whereas the equity growth side, and in part because we're push, pushing the cash back in, you might only end up with actually three or 4% cash that's generated and actually given to the investor. But when combined with equity growth that's in the mid to high teens, you're at 20% or better. One is a good fit for one client. The other is a good fit for another client. You may have a part of one and a part of another that's valuable to you. If you're a passive investor, that means you could go and seek out opportunities, sponsors, that have deals that look more like one or more like the other of what I've just described. If you're building your own portfolio, then you can do some of this same kind of designing yourself. The challenges of being able to buy in different markets is difficult when you're building your own portfolio. Uh, a residential oriented portfolio, the value add work doesn't necessarily track uh, as closely. Uh, but these may give you some ideas. If you would like to learn more about how we do this work uh, and how that, uh, what that process is like, again, you can shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. Always happy to chat with folks and spread the word about multifamily. If you have questions, as I said, shoot me an email. And 
Join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Fuller.